BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. People want to know that their sensitive health information is protected and secure. Your first question is a violation of my HIPAA rights. Think that's HIPAA? HIPAA. 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 Ooh. What is HIPAA? From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, and I'm here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hey, Brian. Hi, Amanda. We are recording this episode on Thursday, August 26th. Today, we're talking about the privacy of your personal health information, which isn't as protected as you might think. Amanda, you just did a story on this. First of all, what made you decide to tackle this issue now? It's not like HIPAA's new. Yeah, so it it was a few things. Really, it was inspired by a a combination of viewer messages, uh, some high-profile misunderstandings of HIPAA, and as you might guess, frustration with some open records issues. And then as, you know, we're kind of mulling that, it was a suggestion from editor extraordinaire Dave Machuda as we were approaching the 25th anniversary of the signing of HIPAA and the enactment of it. So it all seemed like an appropriate time. So HIPAA is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. And we'll get to what that actually means in a minute. But HIPAA has kind of become the go-to response for not sharing information that you don't want to share. So we were getting messages from viewers saying Summerfest requiring proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test. That's a violation of HIPAA rights, which it's not. As you heard at the beginning of the episode, when reporters asked U.S. lawmaker Marjorie Taylor Greene, NFL quarterback Dak Prescott, if they were vaccinated, they invoked HIPAA. Two questions. Have you yourself gotten vaccinated and do you disagree with the Republican whip? Well, your your first question is a violation of my HIPAA rights. Um, I don't necessarily uh, think that's exactly an important plan, so I think that's HIPAA. And when I asked one school district for its reports about time staff members secluded and restrained students, the district said no, citing, and I quote, the spirit of HIPAA. That's one of my favorites, the spirit, <laughs> the spirit of HIPAA. Of HIPAA. All that is wrong. And Brian, I know I'm not the only one who's experienced that. This is a conversation you and I have frequently about people misunderstanding what HIPAA is and what HIPAA does. Well, what's interesting is there may be many people today who don't, uh, at least in their adult lives, don't remember a time when there wasn't HIPAA, when that law didn't exist, when that word wasn't around. But I can tell you I've been in the news business for a very long time. And I go back to 1991 when I started in radio. So this is 30 years ago. And I worked for a small town radio station, Cress FM, Moberly, Missouri. And I still remember we used to do a daily hospital report. We would call the local hospital and we would ask them, like, give us the names of all the babies that were born and their parents. And, um, you know, other, you know, if someone was in a car crash, we would get like detailed information about their injuries, not just that they were in serious condition or stable condition. We would get like, oh, he's got three broken ribs and a, and a broken arm and it's not like we knew the person, but that was just the kind of stuff that was considered news and it was the kind of information hospitals would share. 
So you didn't really think much at all about healthcare privacy. Fast forward 30 years now, if I called a hospital and said, can you tell me about the person who got in a crash last night and, and all about their injuries, they'd think I was nuts. Yeah. Things have changed quite a bit. Yeah, I'm one of those people who doesn't really remember much of a time before HIPAA, but I I was talking to a Fox 6 staff member uh, who was saying that she remembered a time when it was just common. I mean, people would dumpster dive for medical information. Like your doctor's office would just toss batches of records in the in the dumpster out back, and people would dumpster dive for medical information, and that was was normal, which is kind of mind blowing. So I think, especially now, as we talk about people looking at businesses and employers who are requiring proof of vaccination in some cases, and they're wondering, what are my rights? I think the go-to tends to be HIPAA because people hear that and think, oh, healthcare privacy, all my information is protected. And Well, yeah, the, the pendulum has swung so far the other way that now people believe anything that's in any way related to their personal health or medical information should be protected in all circumstances at all times. So the, the sort of and I brought I brought up that story from 30 years ago for that point that the the expectation of what is private has changed so dramatically that now HIPAA has become sort of ubiquitous for just meaning if it has anything to do with my health, you have no right to know it no matter who you are. And that's not actually what the law says. Exactly. So I wanted to dig into what the law says, and I'm not an attorney. I'm Jeremy Shapiro-Barr. I'm an attorney with Health Sciences Law Group. I focus my practice on data privacy and security law. But I did interview one who focuses on data security and privacy. I try not to be obnoxious about it. Um, Yeah, it's sometimes I feel the need to speak up. So to understand what HIPAA protects, we really do have to go back to what you were just talking about, Brian, when the law was first enacted in 1996. And if you go back and you watch the press conferences about the law, I spent a lot of time on C-SPAN for this story. At that point, privacy wasn't really a talking point. It was kind of an afterthought in a lot of the press conferences. It wasn't even mentioned at all because the main goal of HIPAA was to make it so you could maintain your health insurance while moving between jobs. So at that point, states had patchwork privacy laws. It's not like there was nothing in existence, but it was going to vary greatly from state to state. It wasn't until 2003 when the HIPAA privacy rule went into effect that there was actually a federal baseline for healthcare privacy protection. You know, I was thinking about this, Amanda. If you went back and you asked a lot of those people that you talked to on the street simply the question of what the letter P stands for in HIPAA, I'll bet almost to a person everyone would say privacy, but it's not. It was portability. This was about being able to take your insurance coverage with you when you left an employer or something to that. I actually don't even remember, but I know portability had to do with taking your coverage with you as opposed to privacy. So you're right. When 2003 comes around and they add privacy, ever since then, everybody assumed it was always meant to be about your privacy. So so there is this sort of now federal baseline privacy protection that's put into effect. What exactly does that protection include? Well, so the protection does not include all your health information. It does not apply to every person who may see or use your healthcare information. HIPAA means that largely, and I say largely because there are nuances, and we're going to talk about that. HIPAA means that largely your doctor or your health insurance 
or what's known as a healthcare clearinghouse, which is like the go-between between your doctor and your health insurance. And then certain health vendors, they cannot disclose the health information that you have if they're maintaining your health records. That's pretty much it. Like that's that's what that privacy protection applies to. Now, there are cases where it it kicks in. There are cases where it doesn't kick in. And that's why attorneys who study this area of the law say they like it because there are a lot of nuances and there are changes. But for the most part, HIPAA applies to healthcare entities who have your healthcare records and they cannot disclose that information without your permission. So doctors, pharmacists, clinics, you go to the urgent care, those kind, they, people who provide you health care, they can't disclose your information without your permission. Yeah, and your health insurance and certain vendors that they may use. That was actually a, a 2013 update to include, quote, business associates, which is a, a bit of a more complicated definition. But, but I think a really big misunderstanding here, and, and this is one of the things I think your story really hits on, is the question of what about my job? What about my boss? What about my employer? I mean, aren't they pre- prevented? Aren't they prohibited by HIPAA from disclosing my health information? Or the big question right now from asking about uh, any of my health care? I mean, obviously, right now we're dealing with the question of vaccinations. And, and many people think, well, doesn't HIPAA prevent my employer from asking me if I've been vaccinated? Yeah. And the simple answer to that question is no. HIPAA does not apply to employer records. Now, there are other privacy laws that can kick in at work. For example, the Americans with Disabilities Act can prevent your employer from sharing certain health information that you report to your employer. But HIPAA does not apply and it does not prevent people from asking you questions. Um, It does not prevent reporters or your boss or anyone else from asking, hey, what's your vaccination status? Now, you can, you, you're not legally obligated to answer questions in certain cases, but HIPAA does not prevent people from asking you questions. HIPAA would prevent, in most cases, your doctor from disclosing your vaccination status to your employer without your consent, but there are even times when HIPAA doesn't apply in those cases. So for example, if your employer basically sets up the uh, appointment for you to see your medical provider, if that medical care is being directly supplied by the employer, so think like if they set up a clinic for you to go see a doctor, uh, you know, during work time, there are cases where your doctor can disclose your medical information to your employer without your prior consent. But those cases are really limited. That's not something that's typically the norm. But your employer can ask you those questions, and that is not a HIPAA situation. And I'm sure there are different laws and regulations that may apply to different types of health questions that can or can't be asked. For instance, if you're applying for a job and the person doing the interview says, are you pregnant or planning to get pregnant anytime soon? And if that's obviously a factor in whether you're going to be hired, that's not a HIPAA question, but that doesn't mean that it's okay for them to ask questions like that. Exactly. Or similarly, their FERPA is the law that applies to student records, right? So school records, schools are not 
covered by HIPAA. So if they can't disclose medical information, it's not because of HIPAA, but in those cases, it's because of FERPA. So that's not to say that, you know, if HIPAA doesn't apply, you have absolutely no privacy, but HIPAA has become this catch-all that people use to cover any personal information, not always just health information. And it's actually a very specific set of circumstances in which HIPAA applies. Well, and we have reporters, as investigative reporters, have found many times where uh, one of the things about HIPAA is it, it protects your health information from being released by those providers without your permission, but it doesn't prevent it from being released if you give permission. For instance, someone comes to us with a complaint about a hospital or a doctor who they believe behaved poorly, and they say, I want you to see my medical file, and I want my doctor to talk about it. Oftentimes, we'll get the blanket, we can't talk about that due to HIPAA, even if the person is willing to provide a waiver that says, no, my privacy, I'm not concerned. I want them to answer your tough questions. A lot of people will use it as sort of a shell to hide behind to say, we don't have to talk about that. Yeah, exactly. And actually, one of the things HIPAA does is it specifically, expressly allows you to see your own medical information because that wasn't always a given either. So you get to share your information with whoever you want. HIPAA doesn't stop you from talking about your own health information. Uh, It doesn't stop you from seeing your health information. Actually, it specifically says you need to be able to access that. So that's an important thing that comes up whenever we talk to healthcare providers. HIPAA also requires you to be notified if there's a breach of your healthcare information. So if if something happens, um, if there's a, a cybersecurity issue, for example, and your records are compromised, the entity is supposed to notify you. That was not always a given either. And it requires those covered healthcare entities to have certain security safeguards. So they can't just dump your medical information, you know, out, in the trash can overflowing for everyone in the public to see. They can't just go and click on suspicious links and have absolutely nothing happen to them if then your information is compromised. They now have certain responsibilities to not only not release your information, but take steps to make sure it's protected. Now, obviously, the elephant in the room right now is the question of do I have to have a vaccine to keep my job? For a lot of people, that's a question that they, that they may be facing. We know the city of Milwaukee says it's going to be requiring vaccination. So it's obviously not a HIPAA violation for the city to ask its employees, are you vaccinated? But the question of whether or not they can require it, that has nothing to do with HIPAA either, correct? That's an entirely different set of laws and regulations? Exactly. So there's been a really interesting discussion about the how the Americans with Disabilities Act applies to this. So, for example, if I am uh, immunocompromised, what steps does my employer have to take to make sure my work environment is safe? I've seen people argue that employers should require vaccinations to comply with ADA. And I've also seen arguments that employers should not require vaccinations to comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act. None of that has anything to do with HIPAA. HIPAA does not stop your employer from putting that mandate into effect. There are other laws surrounding the issue, 
but it's not HIPAA. There are obviously many people who, because they believe HIPAA covers so many things, who want to complain, file complaints, want to sue their employer or someone over a HIPAA violation. First of all, how common are HIPAA complaints? How What has been the trend in that over the years? And and are people suing over this? Are they having any, any success when they do so? So when I was going through data for this story, I noticed that there was a pretty sharp increase in HIPAA complaints over the last several years. And I thought that that was curious. And I asked uh, Jeremy, the attorney that I interviewed about that, and he has a, a few different theories for that. So in 2013, we saw some changes to HIPAA regulations. And actually in 2014 was when I started noticing the increase in HIPAA complaints. So basically that's when the whole business associates question came up where they said, okay, HIPAA now applies to certain healthcare vendors. So HIPAA applies to more people. You then have more opportunities for HIPAA complaints. There's also just more of a general awareness about HIPAA. I mean, think about how many laws do people, whether they have the right understanding of it or not, do people just like casually cite in everyday conversation? The privacy portion of HIPAA has been a real sticking point in the American lexicon. So because there's more of an awareness about HIPAA, that can bring different complaints to the federal level. And then there are times when the federal government announces enforcement priorities. So they can step in and take HIPAA enforcement without actually receiving a complaint. So for example, recently the feds announced the Right to Access Initiative. So that focuses on enforcing HIPAA against uh, entities that have wrongfully denied patients access to their own health information. So when you see those enforcement efforts, then of course those numbers really start skyrocketing. You cannot like personally bring a a HIPAA lawsuit. It's not this like civil matter uh, where it can go to litigation. This is something that- So so for instance, let's imagine I'm at work and I I go in and I tell my boss privately, hey, look, um, I've been diagnosed with cancer. And then I come back to work the next day and six of my coworkers are consoling me. And I'm like, how do they know this? That's not a HIPAA violation because my boss isn't a healthcare provider, right? Exactly. Now, Probably unethical. Might well, be some and other that might issues. be an Americans with Disability Act issue, and I'm not a, a legal expert in in that sense, but but it's not a HIPAA. It's violation. not a HIPAA violation. And when there is a HIPAA violation, there's a process you go through to file a complaint with the feds, and they investigate it and they enforce it. But it's not like we see a bunch of civil HIPAA lawsuits left and right. Now, there may be other avenues that you can use to sue someone who you believe has violated your actual HIPAA rights, but it's not the case where, um, you know, you then take it to court and it becomes this three-year battle. Uh, It's really the federal government does the enforcement. I I, I think about the time we live in in terms of access to data and information and and you know for many many years you went to the doctor you hope they still had good notes on you or you went to a new doctor you'd hope they get all the notes and the charts from the last one and now i, I log into you know my healthcare provider site and there's years and years of data and information i have apps on my mobile phone that are tracking things like heart rate and steps and sleep and other things there's a lot of health information that's just sort of out there 
Um, what kind of issues has that raised in terms of healthcare privacy and how does HIPAA apply to that? There's a big discussion right now about HIPAA as it relates to health apps because under the law right now, there are a lot of health apps that are not covered by HIPAA, even though they are keeping records that, you know, if, if your doctor, if your general practitioner had them, that person would be covered by HIPAA. So there is a push now to expand it, especially with the way technology has evolved to cover those health apps. As for your healthcare information being online, I mean, there there was a lot of talk when the law went into effect uh, in 1996 that it was all the conversations surrounding electronic records. Well, <laughs> electronic records has only become more prevalent since 1996. And actually, th- there was a real push and encouragement for healthcare providers to use more electronic records for a, a variety of reasons, right? But with that comes the responsibility of protecting those records. So again, it's not just about, I can't disclose this to other people. With so much being electronic right now, these HIPAA-covered entities have increasing responsibilities to make sure that information is truly protected. So it's been 25 years since this law was first created. It's been less than 20 years since really privacy was sort of its focus or one of the big uh, focuses any sense of where this is going from here? Um, you know, I, I know as reporters, we often think at least, well, I shouldn't say we, I'll speak for myself. I've often thought for many years that HIPAA went a little too far with some things. There, There's some stuff where it hit, like we've said, it's been used as sort of the the catch-all to just block information. And, and with open record stuff, we see that all the time where uh, people are citing HIPAA as a reason not to release public records when HIPAA has absolutely nothing to do with it. It's just sort of an excuse. But so th- that's sort of a selfish thing I'd love to see addressed at some point. But any idea where this is going from here? I mean, I, I suppose there's not going to be like HIPAA 2.0 or anything like that. But I imagine there are some issues that have been that have arisen in the last you know 20 plus years. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because there are some countries where there are much more blanket protections for privacy than we have here in the United States. So if you look at the EU, for example, a lot more of your personal information is considered protected. You know, here in the U.S., it's very easy to access uh, your address and other pieces of information that you might consider personal because while in some cases there are privacy protections, we don't have that sweeping expectation that they do in some other countries. So there there are people who would push for privacy protections to go even further and and not just be for, you know, healthcare information, student information, kind of the the piecemeal system we have going here. My personal experience is that when HIPAA has been used to block access to reporting, pretty much every time it's not because HIPAA actually blocks uh, the information. It's, it's, a it's, it's a misinterpretation of HIPAA. And look, there are times when it's probably a good thing that HIPAA blocks access to reporting. You know, when you have, um, you know, especially children involved and 
let you, it struck me as you were talking about just being able to get the names of all the babies that were born at the hospital. Like, that's something that I, as a parent, probably wouldn't love just having out there without my permission, right? You know, you go back to the newspaper days when there would be sort of the, the, the gossip pages, which were essentially, you know, so-and-so visited so-and-so's house or called upon such-and-such for a, for a gathering. So that it was it was really a story, they were usually in small communities, small towns, but it was the idea of here's who visited who, here's who was hosting parties for whom. Um, so the idea of who had babies just made sense, right? It was just sort of town gossip. Um, we, we don't do that anymore, and it's certainly not with healthcare information. I mean, when you when you just back up, Amanda, with, with all of this, there's, you know, we talk about the understanding of the intricacies of the law, as you, you found when you went out and talked to people. The vast majority of people couldn't even tell you what HIPAA stands for, much less how it's spelled. I mean, I think maybe that's the biggest thing. When I see HIPAA spelled H-I-P-P-A, I know it shouldn't matter, but it, it's like seeing people misspell the word lose with two O's. <laughs> it's H-I-P-A-A, right? I mean, so yeah. I guess that says something about sort of the general understanding of what's inside that law. Yeah, so it's funny. There's this thing in uh, in broadcast that we call MOS, man on the street, right? And it can be hard to get people to talk to you. And literally for this, all I did was set up a whiteboard that said, let's talk privacy, set up a microphone. And, uh, you know, there were definitely some people who didn't want to talk, as we illustrated in the story. Sorry, not today. Do you want to answer a few questions for us? All right. It'll be real quick, I promise. But once we just said, hey, do you want to talk about your opinions about privacy? I mean, it was like people were, were lining up to talk to us. And there were some people who had a general idea of what HIPAA was. I think they need to understand that they need to protect their, their medical rights. There were some people who were just flat out wrong in describing what it was. But the vast majority had no idea what it was. What? <laughs> what is that? HIPAA? I have no idea. That's a big topic. Um... That's a good question. Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's all right. A lot of people don't. You're not alone. I don't even know. They had heard it. Um, in some cases, they had never heard of it. But they didn't, they, they couldn't describe what it was, what it covered. They knew it was like tangentially related to the vaccine. And that was about it. So I think especially now, as we talk about the vaccine, as we talk about COVID-19, it's becoming just a much more important point of conversation to understand what the law actually protects when it comes to your personal health information. That seems like as good a time as any for us to go off the record. This is where we get a little more personal, have a little fun, and we do that by answering a question we have not prepared for whatsoever, as evidenced by the way I usually stutter and stammer. And to ask us that unexpected question, Sarah Smith is here once again. Hey, Sarah. Hi. Um, I will say that when I saw the outline for today's podcast, um, the line that was my favorite, man, I should have it, okay, was uh, where Amanda said... Uh, we think of our best answers 30 seconds after the podcast recording has stopped. <laughs> so, oh, and I didn't just read that. It was, there. it was sort of scripted for me to introduce you with that. I didn't read yeah, it, but it's true I, because... It, I, it, I was trying to see if you were paying attention, Brian. No, that, I've had so many answers that have come up after we're done because I haven't prepared. But I, I guess I need to think better on my feet. Nah, it's like arguments. You know, you argue and then 10 minutes later you're like, here's what I yep. should have said. Duh. Okay, anyway. Uh, so today's question... Um, maybe has you thinking a little bit more than like a 
question about what's in your refrigerator. Stone um, ground mustard. What is... <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Lose the relish. Um, okay. What's one important skill everyone should have? Oh, that's not... It can be anything. Like... Oh, I, I mean, it can, it, any anything, you know, like whether it's they should know how to dust their mantle. I don't know. I mean, but just one important skill everyone should have. I, I could I could list a hundred without. I mean, because I'm about to send a Same. kid off to college, so I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, what are the things she needs to know as she moves into the real world that I've just been doing for her, or she's been able to come to me? Um, and we talked about some of this just literally last night. Uh, I, I think one of the things you you need to know is you, you need to know what to do when something goes wrong with your car. Who do you call? Where do you go? Um, and that's fairly general. So we talked about like if you if you had a flat tire, do you know how to fix it? Do you know how to? And that might seem like uh, you know I mean, in life, how often do we actually have flat tires versus all the other things that can go wrong? But I feel like if you can figure that out, you've got the skill set to figure out a lot of other stuff because flat tires don't happen sort of like oh I've got a couple of weeks to figure this out. They happen and it's a crisis. And so you've got to think on your feet and you've got to act quickly. So I think that for me is a it's one of those things that says I'm handy enough. I'm not afraid. I know where the, the tools are. I know how to do this. Um, yeah, there's cars, traffic going by me on the side of the road, but I've got this. And for my daughter, I think for a, a young woman to be able to say I've got it, um, I think that that gives sort of a level of confidence that carries through in a lot of other things. So I guess I would say change a flat tire. I don't know how to change a flat tire, so there's that. Well, so we're going to have our next podcast is going to be how to change a flat right. tire. A tutorial. Wonderful. I would. I should probably watch some YouTube videos and become a YouTube expert. Yeah, that's one thing. I. You're right. Like, I, I don't know how to do it. I would cut a flat tire You know how to call so, AAA. Well, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I know how to uh, call for takeout. Anyway, um, Amanda. My answer is super different, and I don't know if this is the spirit of the, if this is in keeping with is it the, the spirit, spirit of, of the question. Yeah, the spirit of HIPAA. <laughs> uh, the spirit of your question. I think it's a really important skill to be able to self-evaluate, as in like be inquisitive with yourself at the end of the day or after an interaction. Be like, did I like how I handled that? Why did I react that way? And how can I do better in the future? I just, I think no matter what you do, that's something that it, it's like a muscle that you need to keep exercising. And it sounds like this like soft, fluffy thing, but to me, it really is an actionable skill that takes time that you need to perfect. And it's it also requires can... a meta level of awareness because you have to be aware of yourself. Yes. And I, I, I really think it, it starts with being inquisitive about yourself, like even just being able to stop and go, why did I do that? Or why did I react that way? Or why am I so upset about that? And it's something I've been thinking about a lot more as we uh, are in the terrible twos in our house with my toddler, because a lot of the things, especially at daycare that they teach toddlers, you go, these are skills that we just forget as adults, like they're teaching them to identify how they're feeling at any given point. So my two-year-old's super in touch with her own feelings. You know, she'll go, I'm so sad or I'm so happy. And grown-ups, we can't always do that or identify that, which is then usually the underlying motivation for how we act. So I think I think that self-evaluation, being inquisitive with yourself is is a skill that everyone should have. Yeah, I like that. Um, and I'm going like in another different direction as well. So um, 
which is why I love these things. Um, so my my first thought went more like domestic. So I honestly think everyone, no matter your level in the end, um, should have one dish, uh, one recipe that they know how to make, not follow the recipe from start to finish. I, I mean, I think, feel like anyone can do that. But to know like something that they call maybe their signature dish. I don't care if it's spaghetti and meatballs, which I find, you know, relatively simple, but like, and it doesn't have to be something as fancy as like ratatouille, but like, I think something where you're proud of it and you could make it if, you know, if you were forced to do it. Um, I just think it's important to kind of have that and the, the a sense of pride in a different way. But I just think, you know, I mean, I love being in the kitchen. So I think that's something that I always think about. Um, See, you probably have a million go-to dishes you could go to in a pinch and do them right off the top of your head. I will say, because there's so many, I mean, Wisconsin, if you live in Wisconsin, you need to be ready for a dish to pass because you're going to get that thing and <laughs> yeah. you're going to forget until the day before, the oh my God, we've got to bring something. No past dishes. <laughs> and, and so yeah, what right. I, what I've, a lot of Packers parties in recent years, which has been wonderful. And it got me to come up with the one thing I could do quickly, relatively cheaply, and that people loved. And that is uh, it's a buffalo chicken dip that is out of this world. It's like four ingredients. It's not hard to make. And every time I bring it, people are like, oh, I hope you're bringing the buffalo chicken dip. Yay, you brought it. So it, it gets good results. So that's the perfect thing. That's my go-to. And I almost think, I hope people don't get tired of me showing up with that because that's that's my deal. <laughs> Brian, you can show up at I my have, house yeah. with buffalo dip anytime. <laughs> yeah. I haven't had your, I haven't had your dip, so I will definitely come over to Amanda's when you bring well, it. <laughs> all right, so yeah, maybe I should have yeah, next next time we have a get together or you know what if we all are back in the office together ever again, I'm hoping that's going to happen. When that, happens, when that happens, when that happens, we're going to have a like, hey, celebrate being back in the office day and I'll bring in some buffalo chicken dip. Because that's a great idea. When we're finally back in the office together, let me bring food to share because that's been the (laughs) – let's just – let's go all out. I like it. But I do – I like that skill. And I think my – so I'm one of six kids. Dinner time in our house was crazy. And one thing my mom started doing was when we all hit – when you hit high school – Um, And then college in the summers, like when we were all home, each person had one night a week where they were responsible for dinner. And no, even if you like had work or your internship or school or whatever, fine, like do a crock pot dish, do something that can be popped in the oven real fast. But it just it taught us a lot about meal planning and having that that signature dish. So I do think that's a good skill. So on the way to the next party, I'm going to have a flat tire. I'm going to change that tire. I'm going to think about how I yelled at the kids when I had to go change the flat tire. But then I'm going to get it fixed and I'm going to show up at the party with my chicken, buffalo chicken dip. So there you go. Perfect. Full circle. I love it. If you have a question you'd like to submit for our off-the-record segment, a topic you want us to discuss, or an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email. And you can send those emails to fox6investigators at fox.com. That's fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and of course, executive producer Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you get fine podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson, and for Amanda St. Hilaire, we'll be back again next week.